members wait i don't have yeah good morning hope you guys are safe and well and this week we have logan and hosh good morning guys morning guys good morning everyone and you guys sent a lot of questions so i'm uh, looking forward to responding to your questions and logan's going to read them off we'll wait a few seconds for you guys to hop on and get started good morning i mean I like it. Amin's always the first one to hop in. Uh, good morning, Raul. And here we go. Arthur, Michael, Salome, good morning. All right. I guess we can get started. Um, Logan, you want to introduce, we have some new members, I believe. Yeah, absolutely. So we always yeah. like to shout out the new members. Uh, Mahesh, Craig White, Malcolm Smith, Nick Cabanas, and Eddie I'm sorry, Eddie, I don't want to botch your last name, but Eddie Laracity. Uh, <laughs> so welcome to the group, everyone. If you haven't already, please go in and introduce yourself. Uh, share where you are from, where you live, your experience, what you're looking to accomplish, and get connected with the other members. Awesome. Thanks, Logan. All right. Who's got the first question, Logan? All right. We'll go ahead and hop into it. So first question today is from Preston Robbins. He said, my wife and I just sold two single family houses that we had with the intent to roll them into bigger purchases in commercial and or multifamily. We sold them February 1st and we have this, uh, the sale proceeds in a 1031 exchange. We have 164,000 to work with in the 1031 exchange. What type of deal do you suggest we look for to keep growing the capital that we have quickly? Wow. First of all, congrats on your exit. I'm sure part of that uh, big chunk of that 164,000 proceeds, your uh, profits. Uh, that's not a whole lot of money to start uh, investing in commercial real estate, but on multifamily commercial, you know, 16 unit, 24 unit, um, out of a state, of course, in California, you're not going to be able to buy anything. Uh, lenders are more aggressive. You can, I'm pretty sure you can go up to 80% LTV. So if you have 164,000, figure $150,000 for the down payment, the remainder for reserves and closing costs, you divide that by 20%, 0.2, you can go up to $750,000 for a multifamily. If you can find one uh, by March 14th or 15th, that's your deadline. If you close on February 1, you have 45 days to ID uh, potential obliques uh, for your 1031. Uh, so, you have a very short window. Um, I would look out outside of your territory. I don't know where you live, but uh, look nationwide for any multifamily that are, uh, you know, selling at high cap rate and don't have a lot of deferred maintenance. You may also be able to get a commercial property, a small retail center, you know, seven, 800,000 with a seller carry back since your LTV is going to be over 80 probably. But that's a pretty slim chance. But I can't give you more guidance than that because uh, I don't know where, which territory you're looking for, but those would be my suggestions. All right. Next question we have from Arthur. Um, Arthur asked, we know what the average replacement cost per property type, mm -hmm. but do you have a method or list to determine the fair price for land cost mm -hmm. based on city and type of zone? For example, an industrial warehouse is much more valuable in Los Angeles, California, compared to a less dense city in Arizona. Are you looking at comparable to determine what is the market average? Yeah, that's a moving needle. No, I don't have the list 
uh, of all the comparable properties per foot for the land cost. Uh, when it comes to commercial property, uh, you're still commercial zone, whether it's industrial or office. Um, as long as you have parking ratio, you can tear down this building, for example. It's a commercial zone and I can build industrial. Um, it's not a lengthy process because you're not going through a zone change. You're just putting a different type of commercial property. And uh, the land cost, basically, you just go ahead, go to CoStar, click on the land and get a survey of what the uh, comps are for land. Or you can go ahead, put properties in acre to two acres in your area for office, commercial, industrial, and, and just calculate the land cost based on that. It's a little bit of homework, but there are comps for land um, on CoStar. That's what I would recommend. Awesome. Our next question from Evan Humes. He said, hi, Manny. I will have 75000 liquid cash by the end of this year to invest in real estate. In Michigan, is that enough to begin in smaller commercial real estate or should I start in residential real estate with that amount of money? My overall goal is to get into commercial real estate. Thank you. Uh, uh, 75,000, um, probably not enough to get into commercial property unless, again, you find a seller that's willing to carry a majority of the purchase price. Um, but look into multifamily, you know, eight unit and above. Uh, that you can add value and the rents haven't been increased in the past, you know, 12 to 18 months. That may have some meat on the bone. That would be a good place to start. All right. And the next question from our new member, Mahesh, he said, hi, Manny, I am a newbie in commercial real estate and want to know what would be my price range for properties to look at if I have a hundred thousand in cash to invest. I have a couple of friends that can also partner if it's the right property. 100,000 to invest plus few rich buddies that can add to that. Um, again, you can take 25%. So if you take $100,000, uh, 25% of it uh, down pay as a down payment, that would give you what? $400,000 uh, sales price. That's going to limit you to residential, whether it's a fourplex, eight units, 12 units, uh, that all depends in the, your area. Get on LoopNet, put multifamily, and look at the comps. Uh, what are selling for, and uh, and find one that you can, uh, you know, has a value add component. You can put some lipstick on. Rents are below market. It's got a desirable unit mix. A lot of two bedrooms. Uh, not all the studios. Those tend to have a high turnover. Uh, people coming in, you know, they find a partner and they want to move out. They need a one bedroom, two bedroom. So a good unit mix low rent uh, compared to the other listings in the area and needs a little bit of TLC. Awesome. Next question from Eden Lee. Good to see you. He said, can you explain the difference between positive leverage and negative leverage in real estate? I've Googled this, but mm -hmm. see different explanations. Yeah. Um, leverage is when you have equity and negative leverage is when you have no equity. Example, you, uh, have a property that's got a $3 million loan, you have to assume, and the appraisal comes at 2.9. So you're upside down. Um, there are situations where you can go ahead and assume that loan and increase the value by you know making the property perform to the market, but it's very rare. So um, you don't wanna be negative leverage. Also on residential, you can have 
negative amortization loans where your payment of interest does not cover the interest payment of the mortgage. And a lot of senior citizens do that. Basically, they're just eating off their equity from their home uh, for the remainder of their life. Um, and they want to go out, travel, enjoy. So they want very low payments and their equity keeps getting eaten up because it's a negative amortization loan. All right. And then just to clarify, follow-up question from Eden. Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, does positive or negative leverage matter if the property is still producing positive cash flow after debt servicing? Well, it all depends. Are you uh, taking over a loan or you're putting cash equity down to purchase it? So I'm a little bit confused on your question there. Typically, that comes to work to play when you're assuming a loan. Okay. So if you want to clarify it all, Eden, we'll keep a lookout in the comments. Uh, and then we'll hop to our next question from Honest and Lexi. Um, they said, hi, Manny, wondering how you feel about buying a property from a broker who represents both the buyer and the seller. Is it better to get a separate agent to handle either end of the deal, depending if you are the buyer or the seller? Oh, <clears throat> that's a great question. Uh, typically, it's better if you let the listing agent rep you. Uh, if you bring a third party broker, they're going to want a fee and that broker is going to have to share the fee with your buyer's, uh, rep, your, uh, broker you're going to bring in. So they're not going to be as motivated. They're going to be getting paid less when the deal closes. Um, and it all depends too, how you connect with the guy or the gal. Um, if you meet them in person and you connect well and, uh, you feel good about them, um, uh, typically it's good to have them double in the deal. It gets you uh, a better leverage to renegotiate. If there is a retrade or there is a credit you're going to demand from seller, he's going to be in your camp. All right. And then a uh, second question from Honest and Lexi, is it typical to have an agent want an LOI before allowing us to proceed with due diligence? Absolutely. Always. No one's going to go ahead and give you um, intimate info about the property unless they have the preliminary terms of your offer approved. Purchase price, due diligence, ability to close, those things. Yeah. All right. Next question from Siraj. And Siraj is who submitted that smaller medical building we liked last week. Mm. He said, if we're buying medical office building, mm -hmm. do you care about the community income level? Um, since physicians get paid by insurances mm -hmm. and so they have very stable slash high incomes or tenants, or do you still put a lot of weight on the community household income levels, even for medical buildings? That's a great question. Um, yes, uh, absolutely. Because what happens is, um, let's say there's a change in insurance, right? Medical, Medicare, that happens all the time and, and the tenants or businesses in your building are going to be more heavily focused on cash patients. So that's one. Second, if you want to repurpose the building that uh, the neighborhood average household income, which I like to call disposable income, it matters uh, for how much you can, uh, you know, put, a, a, you know, future rents on that site for a different purpose. Uh, you know, it could be office, it could be industrial, uh, could be retail. Uh, so the neighborhood household income definitely matters. Now, if you have CVS as your tenant or a pharmacy that's got a 20 year lease 
and they have 300 locations, great balance sheet. I'm not going to care about average household income, right? Because there's a balance sheet behind it. Awesome. And then second question from Suraj. Different commercial brokers are giving different leasing fees. Mm -hmm. What is your opinion on a fair leasing fee to give a realtor who finds a good tenant in the property? One month rent or is it like a percentage of the total three to five year rent amount? Also, is medical tenant leasing fee usually higher or standard like other non-medical buildings? Typically, it's percentage. Um, it's not paid by one month rent, um, but there are bonuses uh, often used, uh, dollar up to $2 a foot bonus on top of the 6% leasing fee of the lease term. So you don't count the options in that lease term if it's the initial term. So if it's a five-year plus three five-year options, the broker gets paid on the first five years right. uh, times 6%. So whatever the total dollars you're going to get from that tenant for initial term times 6%. And then if you throw have a bonus in there for a dollar or $2 a foot, that's on top of it. Awesome. And then his follow-up uh, piece on that was, is medical tenant leasing fee usually higher or is it standard like other non-medical buildings? It's typically a standard. Um, now, if it's a smaller building, um, sometimes they go up to 8%, uh, but that's typical with you know, a, a, a smaller uh, properties that have shorter term leases because they're going to end up getting less commission, right? The term is shorter, so. All right, and then we have our friend Magnus uh, for the next question. He said, hi, Manny. What is your typical recommend recommended disposition strategy for selling retail zoned out parcels subdivided out of a shopping center? Do you try to sell these quickly at a slightly under market price or do you do anything specific to try and capture more of the future development upside? Absolutely, ASAP. Hi, Magnus. Um, definitely ASAP because rates are going up. So well, the cap rates typically, and also the, there is still appetite from the investor side to park money, a lot of liquidity in the market. Uh, when rates go up and markets, you know, stock market goes down, typically that reduces liquidity. So um, there is a, you know, a, a lot of headwinds uh, in the future for selling single tenant because those are strictly cap driven um, and it's like buying a dividend stock. So. I like to sell those ASAP. Um, we uh, actually have our CBS out parcel. We just opened escrow, so I'm excited. Uh, it's uh, hopefully going to close soon. But yeah, don't be afraid to hold the property for a year just because the norm is holding it for a year. Do what's best for you. And uh, on an out parcel, ASAP is the best. All right. And then second question for Magnus. Have you ever ran into the issue of 1031 exchanging properties too quickly? This year, my accountant is warning me that if I use too many 1031 consecutive exchanges to avoid short-term capital gains on sales, mm -hmm. I'm taking a lot of audit risk. He said the IRS doesn't like seeing a track record of short-term capital gain avoidance using 1031 exchange. And then he also gave an example. Uh, for instance, if mm -hmm. I use a 1031 exchange to avoid short-term capital gains, and then put the proceeds into a property and use an exchange again when selling that down leg property to avoid mm -hmm. short-term capital gains. I'm at risk of getting audited or the IRS not honoring the second exchange. Have you ran into this issue before or would you just recommend getting a more aggressive accountant? 
<laughs> yeah, good, great question. Yeah, CPAs, I want to call them their agents for IRS. <laughs> so they're always conservative. Um, yeah, flipping two properties under a year back to back, it is uh, risky because IRS can flag you as a trader, not an investor. Um, and trader are people that buy properties, flippers, you know. And IRS uh, doesn't like it because you're really a trader, flipper. You buy with the intention to flip it very quickly. Um, but if you can document uh, why you flipped the second one under a year, if there is unusual circumstances, um, and you could come up with a lot of those reasons, right? Document it uh, when you do list it for sale and communicate that to the broker. So you have a little bit better case, but um, I haven't had a situation where I got audited by IRS. I've been audited twice or three times in the past 20 years, but they've never flagged me and I have closed under a year, but not twice under a year. So your situation is a little bit more risky, unusual, um, but IRS is not going to flag you. As far as I know, they don't have anything in the computer that's going to say, oh, you did 1031 exchange twice under a year so it's a red flag as far as i know that's not uh, something that triggers an audit but if you do get audited for other things and they see that they may question um you know whether your intention was to invest in that property or flip it so i would consult with another cpa at the end of the day so. all right uh next question from our new member eddie so Eddie submitted a property. Um, Eddie, we do one property review call per month. I believe our most recent one was last week. Um, so we'll save that for a future property review call. Uh, and then he also asked a question. Mm -hmm. Can you explain what slab to slab and FAR, floor area ratios mean, and what we should be looking for with these parameters? Yeah, every property is different. So FAR, floor area ratio, is the ratio of your building footprint on the lot uh, compared to the actual land size. And, you know, for industrial, you're going to have the lowest uh, FAR. For office buildings in downtown, you're going to have the highest FAR because they have almost zero lot line, no parking lot, if they're building the 20s. So every single property is going to be different. What's very popular right now, people buying, you know, office buildings that have very low FAR ratio and tearing them down, either doing multifamily or putting industrial building on it. And that's becoming very hot, especially in Orange County, LA County, San Diego County. Um, I think I, was there another question here? Um, that was it, stop, that was stop it. and far. Awesome. Uh, so next question is from Jonathan Nguyen. He said, I'm negotiating a three suite, 9,800 square foot office listed at 975,000. 3,000 square feet is occupied by a successful dentist on five-year lease mm -hmm. at $3,000 um, double net. Triple one, net? If you put two ends. Okay. Um, one vacant, 3,700 square feet. Mm -hmm. The third space has a possible hair salon tenant at $3,100 um, if the tenant gets their SBA loan approved. Owner had an appraisal based off hair salon tenant being active at 110000 Hair salon, I feel, is a weak tenant and has not even signed at this time. Third suite needs seventy-five thousand in work and will rent around thirty-one hundred. It's a C-plus area, but mm -hmm. growing in high traffic. Owner said he'd take the appraisal price of eight hundred and ten, 
how would you negotiate getting them to come off of the 810,000 price? Mm. So he's listed for 975 is 9,800 9, square feet, 3,000 square feet, good dentist on a five-year lease, 3,000 triple net, second tenant's a hair salon, hasn't signed the lease, and the third suite is still vacant. Mm -hmm. And he's appraised for 810,000, assuming the hair salon is live and kicking and paying rent. Correct. And the third suite mm -hmm. needs 75,000 in work. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I like the price per foot. You're under hundred bucks a foot at 810. Um, what I would do, I would get some seller escrow holdback, um, not reduce the purchase price, but put seller to do some escrow holdback, maybe a hundred thousand to pay for the TIs of the hair salon or do a rent guarantee for hair salon. So of 12 months, uh, that would be $36,000 triple net. So call it 50 grand. Um, so basically if the hair salon doesn't sign a lease in the next you know, 30 days, um, you will collect that 3000 a month triple net from the escrow holdback from seller's proceed that guarantees you the income for two out of three units. And then you can start focusing on leasing the hair salon and also the other vacant but i like the fact there is a dentist they're paying three thousand uh, a month triple net um if you can get three thousand a month from each unit that's nine thousand uh, a month that's great income for for an eight hundred thousand dollar property that's hundred eight thousand a year um at a 10 cap it's a million dollar property so at a five cap is a two million dollar property so a uh, lot of meat on the bone i like it Awesome. And then uh, next question from Jonathan. So congratulations to you on this one. He said, I recently bought an empty 20,000 uh, shopping center in Kansas and leased, so 20,000 square feet shopping center in Kansas mm -hmm. and leased 10,000 square feet to Dollar Tree with a 10-year lease. Awesome. The other 10,000 square feet of vacant space is having a hard time finding tenants. It can be split into four units if need be. We're using mm -hmm. local commercial agents who have it listed on Crexy and LoopNet. Do you have any other recommendations on types of tenants that like to be in lower income areas where dollar trees are normally found? Wow. Well, first of all, congrats. Um, I love those type of deals because now you got an anchor tenant that's super credit. So you already uh, made a killing on the property uh, in terms of adding value. I would uh, definitely consult a retail broker in that area. Uh, that's extremely hard for me to tell you without knowing what's in the immediate area in other retail centers. Um, but I would definitely say a credit restaurant tenant would make sense. Um, but consult a retail broker. I don't do a lot of retail guys. And especially when I don't even know what's in the immediate vicinity of this property, it's very difficult to uh, advise you on that. All right. Uh, next question from Ed. He said, what does it mean if the sell condition for property is quote unquote 1032 exchange? Anything mm. to look out for? Well, I think you mean 1031. Yeah. That basically means a seller uh, wants to sell it on a contingent upon finding a 1031 property uh, replacement property. That's typically what it means. Um, it's very difficult to do those deals because your escrow is going to be open until the seller identifies his up leg. So he doesn't want to be paying taxes. That's what 
uh, he's basically saying, I want to make a contingency based on uh, finding a replacement property. All right. Uh, and then second question, I'm seeing a lot of properties in retail and office in SoCal listing for above 500 per mm -hmm. square foot, sometimes up to 700 to $900. And they're not beachfront properties. In your opinion, are these overpriced or is this the reality of the economic situation? Overpriced. Yeah, definitely. That's inflation. Um, I'm seeing a lot of investors chasing properties. Um, unfortunately, this is not the time to chase. You don't want to pay over replacement costs. That's one of my major criterias. Um, so anything over, you know, 300 bucks a foot, I would question it. All right. Uh, we have five minutes left. So we're going to do one question at a time and then circle back to the second questions for each of you who had time. Um, the next person is from Hisham. He said, hello, Manny. I got approved for an FHA loan on a fourplex property. My lender is charging me 1.5% upfront. Is that normal under FHA or something to worry about? Yeah, I haven't done FHA loan in 25 years. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, often you can have the seller uh, credit you for your non-recurring closing costs, which would include the origination fee, um, or ask the broker to kick in, you know, half a point or a point. Uh, but I don't know, consult another residential mortgage broker, to be honest with you, because that's not my forte. All right. Next question from WiseTech. Manny, would you recommend putting properties under contract before talking with leasing brokers or is it fine to reach out before having control? No, definitely consult leasing brokers before you go open an escrow because they may, uh, you know, tell you some um, insider info on the property or on the market or on a tenant that's in the property that, uh, you know, may be a deal killer. So why waste your time opening escrow? All right. Uh, next question from one of our new members, Malcolm. Malcolm, welcome back. He said, hi, Manny. I'm considering an out-of-state retail center. Should I let the seller's agent represent me? I'm mm -hmm. hoping to use his commission as a price negotiation tool. This would be my first retail deal. Is it too risky? No, I like that. Um, like I said with another member's question uh, earlier in the session, definitely you know, try to use a listing agent to rep you. It's called double ending a deal. Uh, they'll be more motivated. They'll work harder to get the deal done because they're double ending the deal. So they're making double the commission. They're not sharing the uh, commission pot with another broker. Uh, but first and foremost, make sure you connect with the person. Uh, you feel good about the person and they are actively helping you with the deal. Uh, so when you're sending them a lot of questions, requests for documents, they're proactive. They're not just pushing you to the side and want to just close the deal. So uh, a lot of it has to do with how you feel about the broker. But uh, I like that idea. All right. Uh, next question from Chris Signal. Good to see you, Chris. He said, other than a real estate license, do you recommend obtaining any other types of licenses or certifications that are beneficial to have? Hmm. Not that I know of. I mean, it would help if, uh, you know, you can take a property management course uh, that teaches you a bit about, you know, contracts, uh, cam reconciliation, a little bit of accounting, things of that nature. That would definitely help if you're going to be an active investor and uh, roll up your sleeves and manage your properties. That I would recommend. 
All right. Next question from another one of our newer members, Adolfo. Um, good to see you. He said, which bank is best for mixed use financial for a fixed rate long-term 30 years? Mixed use? Mm-hmm. Mixed use are always best to go with your local bank. Um, life companies and uh, CMBS, Wall Street, they don't like mixed use because it's difficult to underwrite when you have residential, retail mixed, um, or uh, you know, it could be an industrial with uh, residential mixed. Uh, I would say local bank based on my experience. Awesome. Um, Hisham, we'll go back to you for your second question. He asks, do you recommend buying at this time since after intensive follow-up with realtors and brokers, it's obvious it's a seller's market and mm. I can see properties offered at market value and even more, but not distressed. Yeah, it depends. I mean, I'm finding deals. Um, I'm looking at deals now. I got two deals potentially opening escrow on. Um, they're both office. Uh, depends. Um Right. I mean, you could find a retail center that's also grossly mismanaged. If you can find any property, you can add value and is definitely underperforming to the sub market for a comparable asset in that market. Why not? Anytime is a good time to buy, but it's more difficult to find those deals in a seller's market. But uh, there are deals to be found if you, you know, uh, search hard enough. All right, Malcolm, hopping back over to you for your second question. He said, hi, Manny, with interest rates supposed to go up, would you go into escrow now or wait for rates to go up and prices to go down potentially? Take a good deal today or wait mm-hmm. for a better one tomorrow. Again, um, you know, if you can find a grossly mismanaged property, I would buy it now. Why wait? Uh, but there will be more value-add deals 12 months from now uh, for sure. So constantly be active searching for a value add deal if you find it buy it all right and then our last question for today this is going back to you chris chris signal he said is it better to manage my first property as a beginner or to hire a property manager from the start and then what are the pros and cons yeah depends if it's a fourplex you can manage it yourself Uh, if it's a commercial property absolutely hire a third party and spend a lot of time with them on the property so you can get your feet wet and learn um, all depends if it's a two tenant building surely you can handle it yourself so it all depends if it's retail industrial multifamily, how many tenants are there and how close is it to you is it within 30 minutes drive or is it two hour drive so there's a lot of variables but regardless whatever you do you're gonna have to show up whether it's a third party manager or yourself uh, you have to spend a lot of time so you can learn. All right. Looks like it's 1031. Um, great questions, guys. Keep it up. Hope you guys found this session helpful. Uh, be safe, be well, and see you guys next week.